Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Oh, I love you guys. The, the first congregation didn't get it. They're all sitting there like stunned mullets thinking, what in the world is that all about? But there are times where we need to be awake, isn't there? Times you cannot drive and sleep at the same time. It uh, really opens you up to some heartaches. And clearly, when we come to God's Word and back into Ephesians and we look at the series that we're going through, Awaken, Wake Up, O Sleeper. God tells us very clearly. If you look in your Bibles, come down to verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This passage has so much in it today that we're not going to be able to cover everything that's there. But I want to pick up on this theme of being awake. We're in a, such an affluent community. And I know now that I've said that, at least half a dozen people are yawning. And you know how contagious a yawn is. We all start yawning. But we do need to be awake because what happens in the world that we live in is it puts us to sleep. We lose our filter for what is right and for what's wrong. We begin to, oftentimes as we're asleep, we begin to adopt the ways of the world. We begin to adopt the things that we used to do before we got saved. We slide back into them like we're asleep. And Paul comes to us in this passage and he says, I need you to wake up. You think you're awake, but you're not actually awake. You think that you are the children of God and that you're doing really well, but actually you've fallen asleep And the things that are in your life contradict what you truly believe about God. Think about what you've been watching on television. Think about the things that we entertain on Facebook. The amount of times that we are introduced to pornography and nudity. Not invited, but it's there. And we ask ourselves how many times do we actually turn away from that or do we linger on those things? And then we don't even notice them anymore. My grandchildren come over most weekends. My two little, three little girls, Jordan, my oldest sons, his little girls were over. And they're all sitting on the couch like little birds on a wire. And I'm watching some program sitting there. And I looked across at Carol and she was giving me that evil eye. Dudes, this is really like a dangerous eye. She was giving me the, what are you doing? And I looked back on the screen and there was a scene, a violent scene. And for me, it was... I. But for little girls, it was way over the top. And so I changed to another channel and it made me think how many times I've sat there on the couch when my granddaughters haven't been there and my wife hasn't been there and I haven't been so quick to change the channel when something is completely inappropriate because we get seduced, we're asleep in the world that we live in. And Paul says that that is incredibly dangerous for us and we need to wake up. So I want you to wake up. Okay, wake up today and let the Spirit of God speak to us. Let's pray that God would shake us out of our apathy, out of our sleep, that we may not be a danger to others and to ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you and we ask you to forgive us because we have been asleep at the wheel of life. We have adopted things into our hearts and our lives that if you were there on the couch with us, we would be utterly ashamed. And we pray today that you would raise our sensitivity again, that you would, Lord Jesus, draw near to us and shine your light in our lives and drive out the darkness that we have so easily allowed to creep in. 
We ask that you would speak to us through your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come with me into verses 3 and 4, Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles. It'll be up on the screen for you now. And uh, let's read together this beautiful passage. And it is beautiful because it covers things that are really, really heavy, things that should even not not even be spoken about, let alone be part of our lives. And then we find in here a real secret into how God enables us to be awake and be at the wheel and really be living a life of faith and a life that brings fruitfulness, a life that brings real joy, a life that brings glory to God. He says in verse 3, But sexually immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And that, that just seems totally out of place, that last piece. I expected Paul to sort of change gears and continue to remind me of the wickedness that can so easily creep into our lives. But he says, actually, I want you to... but. Instead of doing these things, I want you to start giving thanks. And this is a a real key for us to be able to wake up and withstand the battle that we often face. Thanksgiving is a way of driving out immorality. Thanksgiving is a way of driving out sexual temptation. It's a way of driving out being covetous. It's a way of driving out those things that are of the darkness and not of the light. They are the things of our former life and not of our new life. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been sealed with His Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God has given you His nature. You are a new creation. You have been bought from your old ways and you have been purchased and bought into the way of Christ. We have new lives, new hope, a new future. Everything is meant to be new. But what happens is we get seduced we fall asleep and we allow things to creep into our lives that should not even be named let alone practiced in our lives there are many of us who have been caught up in sexual immorality sadly many of us no longer even really think about it or feel guilty about it we have become so numb we are so asleep at the wheel we have been caught up in all sorts of impurity we tell ourselves, as long as our neighbour doesn't know, as long as our work colleagues don't know, as long as my husband or my wife doesn't know, it's okay. But it should not even be named among us, let alone practised. Covetousness, where we long for those things that we do not have, or we want more of what we have to the point where it becomes disordered. We long so much to have more money, it takes up all of our thinking. We long to have certain things and it consumes our lives to the point where we no longer are soft to God and to His leading in our lives through His spirits, through His Holy Spirit. The antidote, Paul says here, get this, have a look in your Bibles at that last part of that passage where he says, but instead let there be thankfulness. The antidote to a life of sin I want you to hear this because many of us have at times in our lives spent years broken over habitual sin. We've had things in our lives that we're too ashamed of talk of and yet we have not been able to get free of it. 
And yet here, God reveals this beautiful truth to us. The antidote to a life of sin, the antidote to a life of brokenness, the antidote to a life of being captured by this wickedness of sexual immorality, of impurity or covetousness, is a life of thanks. It's a life of thanks. Ingratitude, ingratitude, not being thankful to God, is like a, it's like a wedge in the door of faith. When we aren't grateful for what God has done and when we fall asleep at the wheel and we allow ingratitude to breed, it jams a wedge in the door of our faith and opens us up to all sorts of wicked things. It opens us up to the attack of Satan where he comes in the door and he whispers in the depth of our heart, God is not good. God is holding out on you. You need to go and satisfy yourself somewhere else because God can't satisfy you. And these are the traits of a life of ingratitude. Ingratitude breeds disordered desires. At the centre of a a sin-filled life full of darkness is a heart of ingratitude and greed. I want more. I've got a lovely wife who cares for me, but I want more, so I'm looking at my neighbour's wife and I'm coveting what he has instead of being thankful to God for what he has given to me. I have enough money to pay the bills and feed my family, but I want more, I want more, I want more, and it has led me astray to the point where I am no longer looking to God to provide my needs, but I'm open to other things. Sexual immorality, all kinds of impurity come into my life because my heart has been wedged open by the attitude of ingratitude. Believing the lie that God is somehow ripping me off. Somehow God's not being honest with me. Somehow God is not really meeting my deepest needs. And this is the lie of ingratitude. This is what happens when you fall asleep. It creeps into your life. You don't, it doesn't knock on the door. It doesn't rock in and say, Hi, I'm in gratitude. I want to screw your life up. It just slips into your thinking and into the back of your heart. And all of a sudden, you find yourself lusting and desiring after things that God never intended for you to have because He knew they would destroy you. God is good. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. Because At the centre of a light-filled and fruitful life is a heart of thanksgiving. Do you get that? At the centre of a light-filled and fruitful life is a heart of thanksgiving. It's not more money. It's not more. It's not more. It's not more. It's not more. It's a heart full of gratitude towards God that opens our eyes to all of his blessings and wonder for us. First Thessalonians chapter 5, try to say that with a dry mouth. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter if you happen to be married to Mr. Doofus or Mrs. Doofus, no matter if you, you haven't got enough money to do all the things that you wanted to do and yet your neighbour's constantly talking to you about all the holidays they have in Europe. Your kids go to a, 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 don't, are not able to go to a private school because you don't have enough money and the kids next door do. And we can compare ourselves and compare ourselves 
to the point where our heart gets so squeezed that we lose our capacity for thanksgiving and ingratitude becomes part of our lives. And Satan can smell that a mile away. And he goes on the attack. The moment our hearts are full of ingratitude, he goes on the attack. Have a look up on the screen with me for a moment at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 because this is exactly what happened to Eve. Now the serpent was made more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Not only Eve, but Adam, I would say too. And he said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any of the trees in the garden? Did God actually tell you the truth? Can you really trust God? Don't you know that God's actually lied to you? Don't you know that God's actually holding out on you? Don't you know that God can't actually meet all of your needs? And this lack of ingratitude. Can you imagine if Eve had have stopped and thought, I just need to pause for a moment, push the pause button right here now and go back over what God has done for me. He made me in his image. He's given me a wonderful husband. He's provided me a garden that meets all of my needs for food and enjoyment. I get to walk with God in the evenings and enjoy his presence. I love my God. He's put his mark upon me. But Eve's heart was not full of that. Her heart was really full of ingratitude and it opened her up to a lie and the same thing happens with your heart. How many of us are living a life full of thanks? How many of us are actually complaining about the situation we're in? How many of us are complaining about our marriages, our relationships, our work situations, our finances, always thinking that tomorrow something better will come along and my heart will finally be full of peace and my life will be perfect? That is a lie. You have everything you need now and more. God has given you everything to live the abundant life here right now. And we ought to be thankful for all the things that we have. And I haven't come down in the last shower of rain, even if I look like I have, I haven't. I know that some of you are going through things that are just heart-wrenching. There are people within our community suffering things that are unspeakably difficult. And I, not for a moment am I trying to mock you or pour salt into your wounds, but just pause and take a deep breath with me for a moment. Is not the antidote for your pain and heartache, to pause and to thank God for all that he has done for you? Isn't he the one who is able to give you peace that rises above your circumstances? Isn't he the one who has promised us joy and life that just flows out of us? Isn't he the one who answers our prayers? Isn't he the one who has saved us from eternal damnation? Isn't he the one who has provided us a home in heaven? Is he? Yeah, he is. We need to go to him with a heart full of gratitude and thanks because that's the place that we find peace. That's the place that we find strength. I guarantee you, young men, when you are being tempted, if you get on your knees and begin to list off all the things that God has done for you, when you get back to your feet, you will not want that which you were convinced you needed to have before you got on your knees. It's the antidote that leads us away from a life full of sin. I'd like to dazzle you now with Jeff Littlefair's definition of idolatry. This will never be found in any worthy dictionary, but you get to read it nonetheless. <laughs> idolatry 
It's willfully refusing to believe God cannot satisfy us. In the context of Ephesians 5, it's reasonably accurate. Idolatry is that we will not serve God, but we serve ourselves. And we serve ourselves by worshipping other gods. And we're in a community now and in a civilization where we rarely build golden calves or carve uh, towers out of timber and prostrate ourselves before them. We are far too sophisticated for that. We uh, praise God. Uh, the God of Samsung makes us big TVs. The God of Audi makes us beautiful cars that we can worship. The God of superannuation and the promise of a retirement full of money and bliss is enough for us to bow down and worship it apart from the living God who has promised us life and joy forevermore. Amen. Idolatry is when we willfully refuse to believe that God cannot satisfy us and what it does is it wedges open the door of our heart and it leads us into a place of unbelief where we seek to satisfy ourselves apart from God. We seek to satisfy ourselves apart from the commands of God and the ordinances of God and we indulge ourselves in sexual immorality believing that that is going to satisfy us but it actually causes us more pain. It dries us up and separates us from God. We indulge ourselves in all sorts of filthy talk and covetous behaviour because we have believed the lie that God is not good and the only way I can satisfy myself is if I go out and satisfy myself. God is good. Would you say that with me? God is good. He loves you. We're in a broken world and we are broken people. And things aren't like they should be. And things aren't like they will be. And we very well know that because God in his love has told us that. And in his great mercy, he paid a price that we could not pay so that he could buy us out of the darkness and bring us into the light. And then he indwelt us with his spirit and he's put his mark upon us, his seal upon us for the day of redemption. And we're empowered by his spirit and he's enabled us to be obedient to him. But you must force the lie out of your heart that you have adopted because you guys are just like me. You come along here to church and you talk the talk. And if you were to listen to me, you would think that I'm the strongest saint on the face of the earth. We walk the walk while we're here. We look really terrific. And we proclaim by our talk and by our walk that we believe that God is the one true God and that he's worthy of all of our attention. Amen. But then when we go away and we're in our private moments, the real belief of our heart creeps out. And through our filthiness, our covetousness, our immorality, our dirty joking, we are actually communicating to the angels and to heaven itself and to everyone else that is party to that, that actually we don't believe God. We don't believe that God is good or that God can satisfy us. It's dreadful, isn't it? And if that's your life and that's all of your life, then you are in great, great peril. Have a look just for a moment down with me a little bit further into verse 5, the latter part of verse 5. But Let me read verse 5 for you. For you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Did you feel the door slam? We're not talking about have a crack and I hope it works out for you. We're talking about life and death. And what God is saying is that if you, your life is marked the whole time, 100% of the time, your life is marked with sin and idolatry and sexual impurity, you have to really question whether ever you have bowed your knee before the Lord and asked him to forgive you of your sin and invited him into your life and you've actually received his spirit. You need to really look hard at your lives. I'd like to show you a passage of scripture up on the screen, Hosea, speaking further about the fact that God is the only one who can satisfy us. This beautiful story of Hosea and in Hosea's personal life, God uses his personal life as a message and a picture of the nation of Israel. And Hosea's life with his wife is a mirrored image of what's happening with the nation of Israel at this particular time. And as Hosea takes for himself a wife who was formerly a prostitute, a temple prostitute, and he takes her in and he marries her and binds himself to her and he takes her to his home and he provides for her and cares for her. But unfortunately, she does what many of us have done. She fell asleep at the wheel and she went back into the darkness that Hosea had brought her out of. And she began to be involved in immorality and be with other men. Such was the compassion of Hosea, but much more the compassion of our God. Hosea gave money to those men without his wife knowing so that they would have enough food and enough shelter to care for her. Isn't that remarkable? This is what God has done for the nation of Israel. Have a read with me for a moment. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain or the wine or the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take it back, my grain and my wine. And God's saying of the nation of Israel, he pulled them out of, as it were, obscurity and he made that nation his own nation, his own people. And God bound himself covenantally. He married the nation of Israel. God took the nation of Israel, in a sense, as his bride. And rather than the nation of Israel being faithful, they fell asleep at the wheel and they began to believe the lie that God is not good and that they needed to meet their need in other ways. And so they worshipped gods made by human hands and broke the heart of God. And yet so merciful was God while this wickedness of this nation was going on, the sun came up and they enjoyed the blessing of the sun. The rains came and they enjoyed the blessings of their crop and God was merciful to sustain them, even though he should have probably just got rubbed them out. And do you get the parallel where we're going with this? This is how God treats us. This is how God treats us. But he comes to us and he said, wake up and stop doing it. Wake up and actually serve me from the depth of your heart. Wake up and force the lie out of your heart that I am not good. Believe that I am good to the bottom of your feet. And when you believe that I am good, you'll be able to live in this world before me in a way that honours me in a way that brings blessing to you. Stop being double-minded. Stop being hypocrites. Stop thinking that God is not aware of what's happening in the depths of your heart. Understand that the cringe you feel right now is the Spirit of God bringing you to a place where He wants you to force out that lie that God is not good 
and to believe with all of your heart that he is. Ingratitude is poisonous to our souls. Have a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 21. As Paul in this great, and you'll hear more of this soon from Pastor Timon if you come along Monday nights. But here, speaking of the nations and of humanity itself, he says, For although they knew God, in other words, the creation that we live in testifies to God. You look at the mountains and your heart is full of awe. There's, recently there was a program on TV called, I think, The Deep Blue, and it was uh, showing all the beautiful whales. And they, they, are, they are awe-inspiring. You know why? Because they're made by an awe-inspiring God. Yeah. And they point to His glory. Amen. We look up into the stars yeah. and we, we look at it and think, that is amazing. Of course it's amazing because our God is amazing. It gives glory to him. And we know that. And look what it says. They did not honour him as God, as God or give thanks to him. They refused. We do not fall upon ingratitude accidentally, open the door and trip over it. Oh, I didn't know you were there. We actually choose ingratitude because we've fallen asleep at the wheel of faith And we choose not to serve God and we allow ingratitude to creep in and we must stop and force it out. It poisons our soul. And therefore, these people became futile in their thinking and their hearts or their their foolish hearts were darkened. God is calling you out of the darkness. Wake up. Wake up. Stop playing around with those things that you do not think will burn you, they are actually destroying your soul. Wake up. Stop the coarse jesting. Stop the immorality. Wake up and come back to your God. And you're saying to me, but I've tried. But have you tried to give God thanks in every circumstance? Have you taken the opportunity to open your journal and write down all the things that God has done for you and worshipped Him for that very thing? Let me talk to those of you that are mature in the faith. What does it matter if we lose everything? What does it matter if like Job, we suffer the worst of the worst? We lose our health, we lose our family, we lose our position, we lose lose everything in our lives. What does it matter? Are we not going to be with the Lord in glory? Has He not committed Himself to us forever? Has He not said that He will never leave us nor forsake us? Has he not already said that we are glorified with him? Yes, he has. And so therefore, all that's left to us to do is to give thanks to God no matter what comes across, whether he gives to us or whether he takes from us glory to God. Amen. It's time we spoke to our hearts and stopped playing around with these filthy things, thinking that our God is... Taking no notice, our God is grieved deeply because our God is good and deserves all of our praise. Wake up, wake up. You are blessed by the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together as we close.